You're listening to Energy Insiders, a weekly update on clean energy and climate policy with Renew Economies editor Giles Parkinson and leading energy analyst David Leach. Energy Insiders is brought to you by Pylon, helping solar installers and retailers design high-resolution solar proposals in minutes. And Evergen, powering the transition to a resilient, renewable, decentralised energy system of the future. Hello and welcome to this latest episode of Energy Insiders. My name is Giles Parkinson. I'm the editor of Renew Economy. And joining me as usual is ITK ITK Principal David Leach. David, how are you? Giles, I'm well. I um, trust your health is uh, going okay. Uh, I think uh, Renew Economy must be doing very well. It's uh, hiring another journalist, so that's terrific. And uh, we've got a great interview this week, haven't we? We do have a very good interview this week, yes. Um, Queensland Energy Minister Anthony Lynham announced um, this week that um, he was not going to be seeking a new term in office when that government goes to what will be for the renewable energy industry a very important election, seeing as it's chalk and cheese when it comes to the two parties' in renewable energy policies. Anyway, we sort of hopped onto the phone and asked for a um, an interview and we got one. So here it is. Um, or here is the interview, Dr. Anthony Lynham, the outgoing Energy Minister from Queensland. Um, Anthony Lynham, thank you very much for joining the Energy Insiders podcast. Thank you very much, Giles. Pleasure to be here. Look, we've got so many questions about um, Queensland, which we'll get to quite shortly. But firstly, just as we're saying hello to you, um, we're probably going to be saying goodbye because you've just announced your um, intention not to resume um in the um uh not to not to recontest your seat in the in the election next month why is that oh that's true giles well uh people uh probably know that i'm a maxillofacial surgeon um and in first of october 2060s uh the rules for medical registration changed which meant it's it's uh, far more onerous to keep your medical practice hours up and um, I simply could not commit 100% of my time as a minister and also keep my medical practice hours up. And uh, I had to make a choice between my medical degree and my registration and uh, being a minister of the Crown. And I chose my medical registration. But it's, it's a sad day because people aren't going to see a lot of doctors in politics anymore because of this change in registration requirements. It's it's a shame, really, that um, you're not a dentist, actually, because there's probably a few people in the industry which we could suggest to get some root canal therapy and um, with your loving and helping hands. And uh, <laughs> you can, Giles, look, Giles. I mean, it's a terrible thing to say. I don't know what I don't know what came over me. Um, but look, you you joined Parliament about six or seven years ago. You became the Energy Minister, and um, but also Mines and Resources too. I understand. But let's just talk about the energy market and the electricity market here. I mean, how complicated was it to get your mind around what you were trying to do and I'm just thinking that the Queensland state basically owns its um it's owns it owns its assets its lines and its wires mm-hmm. and most of the coal and the gas plants you've got people who've been very the proud of 20 it. or 30 years absolutely and you've got a mandate or a um, a, a policy that says we're going 50 percent renewables and you must have been dealing with an awful lot of people who sort of said over our dead bloody body well it was look the energy portfolio is very complicated. I think every energy minister uh, in Australia knows it's a really really tough gig. It takes some time. Uh, it, it I just took a lot of reading. I remember I was energy minister and I was um, 
having two weeks break um, before I, I started. Um, so I, I grabbed every book I could, every note, every brief, and simply just read for two weeks. And when I came back, I had um, briefings um, day after day after day of briefings just to get my head around it. But just the terminology, all that, all that it's just a, a very, very uh, engrossing portfolio. But once you get your head around it, um, it is fascinating. It is absolutely fascinating. And it was um, you know, something as complex as medicine but in a different area. And I, have, I had newfound respect for people um, that are in the energy game, you know, how the energy market runs. It's very, very complex. And Anthony, I, I might just add, add uh, you know, my, my dad was a politician, as I was mentioning, and a doctor. And I really just uh, don't think people who are, aren't in politics quite appreciate how much work there is after hours, you know, how many meetings you have to go to at night time, uh, you know, for discussing things uh, for hours on end. Uh, just to throw in my quick question, what, what do you think will be the main challenges for your successor over the next couple of years and opportunities? The challenges for uh, any successor into the uh, energy ministry, is, it's quite difficult, as I've outlined before. So you need someone with a bit of a technical background who can pick it up quite quickly. Um, we're quite lucky in government. You do have a lot of good advisors to guide you through. Um, but I think really that the technical knowledge in the energy space is just so important. Uh, and and uh, how would you describe um, the uh, COAG, uh, if you'd like to talk about that, how it's functioning, at least from Queensland, uh, from your perspective in, in Queensland? I mean, there's complicated arrangements with the AEMC, maybe they're not complicated, yeah. and the ESB. And and I just wonder if it's if you're but the states all seem to be relatively cooperative at the moment or like minded. I'm just wondering if you could talk a little bit about the, the, the scene, if I could put it that way. Well, I can be controversial a little bit, but it's it's great they're actually getting meetings. I think that's why the states are happy at the present time actually having meetings. We don't meet once a year or, or less as uh, was in the past. So the meetings are more frequent. Uh, which we all cherish. Um, they're shorter and more to the point as well, and they're just ministerial meetings. There's no technical advisors or people from AEMO or AMEC there at the meeting. And so that is good. I think it is working. I think it really is working. It's the, is, the, is the federal minister getting the message, though? Because, I mean, as you say, he was reluctant to hold any meetings in his first year, and then more recently... Um, um, he has been holding these meetings. I'm just wondering whether this new sort of fixture, which is no longer COAG, it's kind of under this sort of national cabinet thing that was adopted. Um, are you finding that actually more effective? And I guess one of the big questions is when you look at, when you hear all the state and territory ministers, they're kind of on board, they understand that the clean energy is, thing is happening and what needs to be done. You don't hear that from the federal minister. How much is this going to be a block to a proper and coordinated shift to clean energy um, or can the states just go it alone and for how long? It's quite obvious the federal government doesn't get it as much as the states do. Like everyone, every minister in the state, if you're Liberal, Labor, all Greens, they all identify that our future is renewable energy. There's no doubt. The only body that doesn't identify with that is the federal government 
because we've just seen some announcements uh, with the Clean Energy Finance Corporation, ARENA, that they're, they're, they're looking wider into other energy options rather than just renewable energy options, which is disappointing. Um, but we work very cooperatively together as states. I don't think you've seen more um, unison between political parties than states being together on renewable energy. But you're right. A federal government just simply doesn't get it. I don't know why they don't get it. Um, we've got investigations, a feasibility study into a coal-fired power station up here in Queensland by the federal government. Well, good luck to them. That's their own money. And we've said, well, if you want to spend money on a feasibility study and then to underwrite a coal-fired power station, well, that's your choice. But, you know, we have an excess of energy in northern Queensland. Northern Queensland now exports energy to southern Queensland. Uh, it, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense to put any type of power station in far north Queensland because there's already an excess of energy. So, but they want to do it. Um, we're pressing ahead in Queensland because renewable energy is the future. We have a 50% mandate by 2030. But I know that for every renewable energy plant I put in, that the cost of power for Queensland families comes down. And also I know that their interconnectors being upgraded and with more renewable energy, we have the opportunity to sell that energy into the other states and therefore Queensland families pick up the benefit of having money funded from other states as we supply power to the other states. So it's a big win-win for Queensland renewable energy and it's evidence that you know, we have the lowest power prices of any state on the eastern seaboard. And that's because we're embracing uh, the renewable energy revolution. And, and, and can I just ask, I mean, I'm interested in the several aspects of your answer there because it's, it's very interesting. I mean, the ISP really has a, the integrated system plan has a relatively slow uh, upgrade of the transmission links other than in southern Queensland to New South Wales. I mean, central and, and northern Queensland are slow. And mm. you always wonder what else could be done with the electricity besides uh, exporting it south. But I, I have to ask you about on the politics side of things because we saw at the last federal election, you know, the, um, the CFMEU, for instance, uh, taking a distinct opposition to, to, to clean energy. So I'm, I'm trying to understand, is Queensland, are Queenslanders generally of, of, of one mind about this? I mean, it seems to me you can make a lot of money out of developing your renewable resource and lower prices. So that, that's the main benefit. Oh, absolutely. We're in, the, we're in the situation now that we're attracting industry into our new re renewable energy zones because we need industry to take that power. It'll be cheap power too. The closer we can locate industry to, that, to the uh, sources of power, the better it is for industry and manufacturing and jobs. It's just a win-win. In terms of the CFMEU, we, look, we will have coal mining in Queensland for many, many, many years. We're very different to the hunter. Uh, ours is all metallurgical coal. Um, it's not thermal. We have some thermal coal, but you know, eighty percent of our exports are all metallurgical coal, which the world needs. And there's really only us, Virginia, Mongolia. Um, so we're in a, a good position. So that's why it's very easy for us to have the renewable energy message plus the coal message because they're different purposes. And also because we own our energy assets, we can have a very orderly transition. And we're already uh, transitioning our workforce, uh, you know, more talents to our workforce, we've already announced. 
a renewable energy training facility here in Brisbane. That's nearly $20 million. So we will have a very robust, uh, but also a very nimble uh, workforce as we move into the future. It's the planning that counts, you know, steady hands on the tiller. Uh, you wanna take the public along with you on this journey. And that's why we, we, I think we're the envy of other states because we own our assets and it enables us to have this steady transition through to 2030 and indeed beyond 2030. Mm. You've just recently announced um, um, some renewable energy zones and you're inviting tender tenders for there. Um, if it's going to be anything like what they've done in New South Wales, you're going to be overwhelmed by the number of project proposals that actually sort of flicked your way. Well, what exactly is that plan then? Because it's basically you're sort of testing interest, but surely there must be um, there must be plans to have a certain amount of that number of gigawatts in a certain region. I'm presuming the Western Downs is one region. There must be multi-gigawatts of opportunities there and presumably further north as well. They're very different to the New South Wales plan. The New South Wales plan is simply that. It's a, it's a, it's a plan. Uh, our money, $145 million, is there for infrastructure. It's there for system strength. It's there for frequency. Uh, but it's also there for you know $20 million. Of that money is for industry attraction, to get industry as close as we possibly can to our renewable energy sources. We already have, as you've correctly identified, the Western Downs and the Fitzroy. You know, they're already brilliant um, um, areas. They already have capacity available for people, for companies to go in and, and bid in those areas. Uh, other areas like North Queensland, they need a, a minimal amount of assistance to enable more capacity into North Queensland as well. Um, we're going to check the level of interest and where the interest is. Uh, but uh, people in the renewable energy industry are no fool. They know where these sites are. Um, and uh, we await with interest to see whether we get that level that New South Wales got as well. The negative is, is Queensland has the cheapest power. If you're a renewable energy company, you're going to go where the power is the most expensive. You can get the highest return. And so that's where we're at a, a, a little bit of a disadvantage. But what a disadvantage to have, the cheapest power in the nation. And um, so our attraction will be um, industry will be there next to you. Uh, the transmission um, will be uh, coordinated and uh, we can coordinate quite easily because we own Powerlink. And uh, Queensland has a great resource. So with those all in place, um, we hope we get the same amount of interest as New South Wales. But you know, quite frankly, New South Wales has higher power prices than Queensland. If you're an investor, you're going to go where you're going to get your highest power prices. So I heard Paul Simshauser. I heard Paul Simshauser from uh, from uh, PowerLink and the Queensland transmission operator yesterday saying that 145 million was equity, and you could really turn it into call it 400 million by the time you debt financed it. And also mentioning very interesting number that you could do these renewable energy zones. He hoped for as low as 10 cents a kilowatt, uh, which is which is certainly a very attractive price, less than five percent of the all up cost, if that's what it really turns out to be. I, I wanted to ask very quickly about the northern Queensland again. I guess the community service mm. obligation is a big deal and uh, in mm. terms of dollars. And I wondered whether, you know, um, more microgrids and local sort of and, and, and uh, transmission and generation and control of the system uh, uh, could over time, I'm wondering, uh, in Queensland maybe help to even out that community service obligation or, or how you think about the future of that too. 
we, we think alike. We think alike, and that's all I can possibly say at this stage as we enter into an election cycle. But we think alike, <laughs> and I, I agree. Um, you know, microgrids, we have a lot of communities in northern Queensland that suffer from the ravages of nature quite frequently uh, on at the end of long stringy lines that take a long time to restore. You put a microgrid in those communities, your, your resilience after an event is um, improved and it's rapid turn on with microgrids. So it's that attraction and it's also, you know, the, the, you know, the community, possible community ownership of these grids as well. It's all very, very attractive to consider microgrids uh, in North Queensland. Um, but there's other initiatives we're looking at at the present time as well. We've come a long way in the last couple of years in, uh, in Queensland and I'm very pleased to see where we are and I'm very pleased uh, with the knowledge I have to see where we're about to go. One thing that's worth asking about rooftop solar now, we're just starting to see in other states, particularly in South mm -hmm. Australia, a, um, a bit of a panic actually in, in, in the end to try and introduce new standards, inverter standards to make sure they've got ride-free capabilities, but also new protocols that allow um, AEMO to go through agents of the networks to actually switch off solar if need be. I'm not too sure that Queensland's quite there at the moment, but it's got the most amount of rooftop solar, of which I presume that you're quite proud in the Sunshine State. But um, how do you sort of see the future of rooftop solar? You sort of um, is the um, in, is the industry comfortable by the fact that um, you know a third or you know getting on towards a half of all generation will come from distributed resources such as rooftop solar and, and battery storage and electric vehicles? I mean, how are you seeing that sort of transition? I think the transition is going well again because uh, we ownership of transmission is important and we maintain the ownership and we're prepared to invest. We've shown that, that we do invest. But we've got 600,000 solar rooftops here in Queensland now and one in three. The other good thing, in, um, 300 batteries going in a month into households, which is also booming. And as the price of batteries come down, we'll see more of that. Um, but like in Brisbane, we're very lucky. We have, we have a 570 megawatt pumped hydro storage just out the back of Brisbane. So most of our solar peak in the middle of the day pumps water up the hill at Wyvernhoe. Uh, and Cleanco, our third energy generator, has ownership of Wyvernhoe and it is using it absolutely spectacularly well. So it's getting its solar uh, from the rooftop of Brisbane with um, great transmission through to Wyvernhoe at um, zero or sometimes less than zero dollars, pumps it up and sells it back to Brisbane at uh, pricing uh, that's at peak pricing in the evening. So that little system of Brisbane into Wyvernhoe and 570 megawatts is a large pumped hydro. Um, that is of great assistance in sopping up our solar uh, load in the middle of the day. Speaking for Queensland and for other states, I think demand response uh, pricing is so important um, that people have the appropriate price signals uh, with solar. And that's where people will be incentivized into hooking up to a battery or to an electric vehicle. Um, and electric vehicles, I see a, a totally different charging role for electric vehicles. I don't see electric vehicles charging at home, especially driving home and plugging in. That's the last, last period of the day you want to plug your electric vehicle in when you arrive home. I would see it more that electric vehicles are charged at shopping centres, electric vehicles are charged at parking stations, they're charged at the workplace during the solar peak. And then when you're at night time, you discharge your electric vehicle home, at home, 
get to work the next day and charge it up again for the cycle to repeat. But I think people need appropriate price signals to do that and people should be rewarded for putting power back into the grid where we need it and, um, and um, you know, disincentivised by taking power at night when we actually do need it. Rather than asking about copper string, because I, I suppose that's uh, sensitive, but I will ask about electric vehicles again. It seems to me that the states in general, and I'm not just talking Queensland here, could, could do a lot to foster electric vehicles by, for instance, allowing free park. You know, you can see these policies that have worked in, in Norway. I mean, registration, but even free parking uh, in cities could, 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 could do a lot to promote the growth there. I'm just wondering generally why we've seen so little action from the states to seriously promote electric vehicles. And I know you, there's a bus uh, program uh, getting going in Queensland, but mm. it all seems a bit slow to me. It, it does. It does seem a little bit slow. I think the price of electric vehicles has prevented the uptake. Um, but I agree. Like incentives such as that, we you know have little control on prices, state government to electric vehicles, except for um, registration, obviously. Um, but I agree entirely. The other incentives for electric vehicles, such as you know free parking, um, power at very cheap prices available in the middle of the day at those parking stations, I mean that that's the ideal situation. And uh, don't worry, we haven't uh, taken our eyes off the ball regarding electric vehicles. But you said you don't want to talk about copper string. I'd love to talk about copper string <laughs> because that's the one big difference between us and the LNP up in Queensland, as we go to the election, we had the Energy Minister categorically ruling out copper string. In fact, ruling out the opposition Energy Minister actually ruling out any further transmission in Queensland, um, which means you know that's absolutely stuck um, with the old uh, hub-and-spoke coal-fired power stations off to our cities. There's going to be nothing on renewable energy if the opposition gets in up here. And that's frightening because I think in every other state, if the opposition gets in, there is still a push to renewable energy. In Queensland, it's nothing. It will simply stop um, because there is nothing to push the Liberal National Party into renewable energy up here in Queensland, which is a real shame, a real shame. And Copper Street is fantastic because not only are we hooking up Western Queensland uh, into the NEM, uh, but the renewable energy hookup coming back the other way will be phenomenal. Um, and we've got the Kennedy Energy uh, uh, farm out there. It's a wind farm and solar. Um, and that's you know, on the end of a long stringy line. And with copper string, that farm and many more will be hooked up into the network. And it also assists as well. We we have the large community service obligation here in Queensland. We've got some we've got some households in Queensland that are subsidised up to fifteen thousand dollars a year on traditional network to enable them to have the same power price as in southeast Queensland. You imagine renewable energy hitting all our regional areas. We can drop our CSO because of it as well. Well, that won't just be addressed by um, copper string. That'll also just be addressed by a series of microgrids, I'd imagine, because most of that price presumably is um, sort of taking it, um, is taking, um, is delivering the electricity, or I guess if it's off grid, it's the price of diesel. Mm. Yeah. Anyway. Indeed, indeed. But you imagine a microgrid with another market, the microgrid can push that through to copper string yeah, yeah. or back to the energy market as well. 
So it's it's. I mean, the, the future, everything will change so much, and it's just so great to be here in my time, in my six years, to see such a change. But I've only witnessed such a change because we had such a a, a, a inept government before us that did nothing to renewable energy. So we've taken it from zero to over twenty percent in five years. It's a massive achievement, mm. and there's more to come. Uh, I. I think it's a massive achievement. I'll hand back to Giles, but uh, I think it's a massive achievement. And I, I agree with you very much that all of us that work in the industry are very fortunate to be working in the industry at such a big time of change and being able to make a contribution, yours a lot more than some of us, uh, to, 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 to the future of Australia. Mm. But the, the big thing and is, the, the big thing I think that Queensland's got over the other states is control. You know, we can have that orderly transition. We don't have private companies and we don't have boardrooms in Switzerland making decisions on our behalf. You know, we make decisions on behalf of Queensland families, on behalf of people who work in the industry to make sure we have an orderly transition because if you don't take the whole population with you on this journey, if you, you know, have an unreliable network, if you have power prices peaking too high, then everyone's off the bandwagon. They won't want renewable energy. And so the, the way to get there is steadily, steadfast, and also give consumers and families what they want, which is cheap, reliable power. And you do that all the way through. And my greatest wish is when we get to 2030 or when we get beyond to 2050, no Queensland family notices it. They don't see it. They just go, oh, my God, we're here. Mm. And to me, that's success. Mm. It's not a bumpy road. It's a smooth transition. And I'm pleased that South Australia has got through. It's, it's sort of a maelstrom and it had that awful storm event, which caused such a controversy. And the, the naysayers just grabbed hold of that and ran with it. But they took a lot of South Australia's community with them. They believed them. And they, they truly believed that renewable energy was not the way to go. And that's where, you know, a steady hand on the tiller. And that's where only someone like our sort of political group can do it here in Queensland. Uh, because the LNP, you'll get nothing. And I, I really fear the Greens policy on renewable energy, um, that control will be lost and it'll be too rapid and the population will just simply switch off and will not want renewable energy, not because you know, renewable energy is not the goal, but because it was so badly controlled on the way through. Hmm. It's going to be interesting to see what happens. I mean, you, you talked about you couldn't understand why the federal um, um, government um, just doesn't understand, just, just doesn't sort of see the future. I mean, clearly, obviously, then the, the Queensland opposition doesn't see the future either. Um, I'm just wondering if you can sort of what voices are they hearing that sort of, you know, makes them think like that? And, and also maybe to what extent then are you actually sort of managing to lock in a certain amount of change anyway? I mean, there's been recent contracts with Cleanco for McIntyre and Western Downs and even CS Energy and Stanwell have both signed up to significant renewable energy contracts. So I guess a little bit is being locked in for the future anyway, but um, maybe you can address that political thing first. Yeah, look, I don't, I don't get it. I really don't get it. Um, there's only a few few voices that I hear speaking against renewable energy, but they're all political voices. I, I can't see an upswell in the community saying that, um, you know, we should not have renewable energy. 
And I, I think people realise that you know, climate change is real. There's no doubt about that. Um, but I think they've all, all also in Queensland, they've come to the realisation that renewable energy is dropping power prices. And we've had three years now where power prices for families have simply dropped over those three years. So people are recognising, hey, what's going on? And what's going on is just re more renewable energy is hitting the market. And also the, the good thing about solar and wind is when you're driving in regional Queensland, you can't miss it. Like, there it is. That's why your power prices are down because there you go. There's a solar farm. Look at that hill. There's another wind farm. And um, it's, a, it's, a, it's an advertisement in itself um, for renewable energy. So I think... Um, some of, the, some of the naysayers are very loud and it's a pity that Talkback Radio vets its phone calls coming in so much. So you never hear the negatives on Talkback Radio anymore. You only hear people that will agree with the announcer's argument. And I think if they just open their microphones up and let the general public have their true say on what they truly think, um, uh, the agenda um, will change dramatically. And uh, I think where I go around Queensland, uh, most people want renewable energy. And the younger the group, the more vocal they are on renewable energy. Well, let's hope that that um, is reflected in the upcoming poll um, at the end of next month. Are you, um, are you reasonably confident with that? And uh... How's that looking at the oh, moment? Oh no, we, we, we politicians are never confident. You have to have to ask the people of Queensland to give you their trust in their vote, and uh, that's what uh, we'll be doing. And we just have to display our record. We have to tell the have to show the people of Queensland this is our record. Um, trust us for another term, and we will deliver more renewable energy. And with power bills going down, it's a good position to be in. Well, I agree. I, I do think Queensland's done very well, uh, and um, you, I, I, success has many parents. But you, uh, the guy at the top, always gets uh, his fair share of the credit when things go well. And and in this case, I think it's well deserved. So thanks. Cheers. Look, and thank you very much, um, Anthony Lyon, for for joining us. Um, good luck with the election. I think it is about a week or so after the um, after the AFL grand final. So there might even be a Brisbane victory for us. So you know, maybe. Oh, it's, it's a. It's a... <laughs> I feel for Victoria. I feel for Victoria. It's a tough battle. COVID is a tough battle. And there's still a long way to go. Like, no state is immune from the ravages of COVID. Um, so we just don't know what's around the corner. But we've just got to do our very, very best to get people through until there's a vaccine. Okay. Um, but talking about renewable energy, it's one of my joys. You can tell by the passion in my voice. Yes. Um, I'll be uh, I'm leaving politics, but I'll be watching very closely on the sidelines and... Um, I'm a big advocate for renewable energy, but also as the Mines Minister, I'm a big advocate for mining and uh, long live coal mining in Queensland because we need that metallurgical coal to make our wind turbines. But do we need a Dani? <laughs> Don't get me started. Don't get me started. Um, look, this is the thing in regional Queensland. Regional Queensland needs jobs. And I can see the passion in regional Queensland about Adani. And I must admit, <coughs> being a Labor Party person, I'm for jobs. And Adani did. Adani has, it is providing jobs at this very present time. But I think when you drive around Queensland, 
you look at Adani and you see jobs, but when you drive around Queensland, you look at that wind turbine, look at that solar farm, you look over there, you know, every time there's 400 to 1,000 jobs in construction, wind turbine, wind farm, 20, 25 jobs. Afterwards, some people say, oh, it's only 25 jobs. But hold on, that's 25 jobs into a regional community. That's 25 families potentially into another small regional community. It keeps the school bus going, keeps the school going, keeps the supermarket operating. And people in regional Queensland, they know that and they tell me that and they want renewable energy in their community. So I can see why people wanted Adani for jobs, but in the future, I can see why people will want renewable energy even more because it brings jobs right around regional Queensland. I, I asked early, earlier, you know, what the challenges are for, for your uh, successor, uh, but I think myself the challenge uh, is to find a way in Queensland to find more consumers of all that cheap electricity uh, and that is more industries, whether they're agri-industry or aluminium or whatever it is, that can actually use up the energy and because that's where the real jobs are in making and not even making the products but in selling them uh, and selling design uh, of products and, uh, you know, that, that, that's where the future uh, of, of jobs are, is. You are absolutely correct. And hydrogen, I hate to mention the word hydrogen because we hear so much of it. And honestly, if I see another roadmap or another plan or something like that on hydrogen, I'm going to scream <laughs> because we are so close to hydrogen. It's like it's within grasp. And it's a pity I'm leaving. But um, we've got companies in Queensland um, that make hydrogen combustion engines. It's a, a, a twin cylinder hydrogen engine that drives the generator. It's quite simple technology. It's a company in Maribor that makes them. Um, overseas, you can, you can pick up a very small uh, electrolyzer, hydrogen electrolyzer, that hooks up to solar. And we are close in having a power plant that runs on solar and hydrogen for a remote property, just by simply combining those technologies. It's not far away, but hydrogen is like pumped hydro. It's sort of a gaseous version of pumped hydro. Hydrogen is that great sink of dispatchable generation that can be made during that sump to give us that full range of dispatchable power. Uh, and it's not far away. It is not far away. Um, and don't forget, our renewable energy zones, we're not, we're not blind to the issue that we need companies to take our renewable energy and that's why 20 million dollars of that package is to get industry out to those zones i'd love the magic company that just takes um, power uh, from 10 till 3 in the day that'd be that'd be um, if a company is like that just just knock down my door and i'll assist you into a renewable energy zone to take that power um, <laughs> but pumped hydro hydrogen that's the way you get to dispatchable power. Mm. Anthony Lynham, well, I think we're going to have to end it here. We do thank you very much for your time. We thank you also for your fair bit forbearance through our um, internet travels, um, travi travails um, beforehand. And um, thanks for sort of um, keeping on board. And um, look, um, thank you very much for your leadership and um, and good luck in your in, in the next stage um, after the election. So thanks for joining us today. Uh, life's, a, uh, life's a journey and I'm off on the next stage of um, this journey. But it's been um, 
It's been an absolute uh, pleasure being Energy Minister in Queensland. I've, I've had a, a very enjoyable six years. And the reward is when I drive in regional Queensland and I see that wind farm and I see that solar farm, that's my reward. And that was Dr Anthony Lynham. David, um, pretty interesting conversation, really. Um, that next election is going to be very important. Well, every election's important. That's the wonderful thing about democracy. Everyone gets a vote. You get a regular chance to express your opinion and uh, we get a government. It's often not a government you and I think should be the government, but it's a democracy and uh, so that's fantastic. But, you know, um, um, uh, there's a few good energy ministers getting around the place at the moment and uh, it does seem to me that Queensland's made tremendous strides uh, over the past few years, and it's starting to become evident in the past 12 months much more, but there's still a long, long way to go, of course. A few good energy ministers. It sounds like a sequel to the film A Few Good Men, um, but um, we, can sort of, uh, we can sort of judge at the moment that they seem to be mostly at state level. Um, I tell you what was interesting, though. I mean, look, often the best bits in the conversation comes when the recording actually ends and um, you have a quick conversation as you're sort of uploading the tracks and things like that. <laughs> the Queensland State Government um, has done a couple of tenders quite recently. Um, we've got the Western Dam Solar Farm, which is going to be the biggest in the country. We've got the McIntyre Solar uh, Wind Farm, part of which has um, been contracted and um, that's going to BHP. And then the CS Energy and Stanwell both did um, uh, power purchase agreements for wind and solar farms. Dr. Anthony Lynham didn't say what the prices were. He said they were pretty damn good. And he did talk about the advantage of having a short-term PPA because you can kind of you know grab the price now and maybe get a better price later on. But we did actually see during the week the result of the ACT election. And I thought that was pretty interesting. That's not a short-term PPA. That's actually a 20-year one at a fixed price. And quite amazingly, the um, the price for the wind farm, the Goiter Wind Farm, which is the first bit of a huge project in South South Australia came in about $45, just under $45 a megawatt hour. Now, that is a fixed price over 20 years. So in real terms, it's probably around $35 a megawatt hour now, which is quite extraordinary. David, are these prices low because that's the cost of the um, technology or are these prices low because the developers are just very happy to have some sort of contract in line so they can get the uh, first part of those developments away? Well, a part of it is uh, certainly the cost of capital. Um, if you in renewable energy, as you know, Giles, and I think most of our listeners know by now, I've said it many, many, many times. The the real thing that drives how much price consumer the price consumers pay is to, is twofold. Really, it's the revenue certainty because there's not that much opex in these businesses. So, if you can lock in the revenue and and you've got the transmission, uh, then you, you know um, you, that. That that what your, your what your profits and cash flows are going to be, and the and then the other part of it is when you're working out the price is what rate to discount those cash flows over over the life of the project, and that's where you know when interest rates are one percent, uh, the cost of capital is incredibly low, provided you can actually whack a fair bit of debt in there, and to get the debt in you need to have the revenue locked up with a with a government level or, or equivalent um, uh, buyer of the power. Once you've got that, then you get these very low prices. Again, also, there's often tricks in these PPAs in the sense that the wind farms are don't are often not built for a couple of years and people rely on the technology, developers rely on the technology cost coming down and they also often hope that they're going to make more money uh, out of the bit that's not contract, 
contracted into the PPA, although many of us have become more sceptical of that uh, over time. So I think uh, they're the things. And the other point to make, Giles, uh, is that despite the slowdown in new projects, the state governments at least uh, um, are, are encouraging enough new renewable energy so that you can still remain confident uh, or that it, or we're still well on track to get to 50% uh, wind and solar penetration uh, with rooftop by about uh, to 2030. Uh, that's still not enough to get uh, global warming under control. But it's, you know, as, as we've seen, despite it's about as much as the transmission and the system, uh, transmission system can handle. Yeah, look, it's interesting. So apart from what we've seen in Queensland, we've seen the result of the ACT auction, which will see two 100 megawatt wind farms being built and two big batteries being built in Canberra. And um, that should be very interesting to see um, how those are operating. It was interesting to hear Neowen talk about their big battery, which I think is going to be at least 50 megawatts. They see it as another Hornsdale. Um, pretty much playing in the same sort of markets or maybe the frequency market might be a bit um, crowded. Victoria has called for expressions of interest for in a lead up to its next um, auction. Of course, it's got to get its transmission sorted out before it goes too far down that track. And this massive goiter project. I mean, if you just think about that, this is another Neo-N project. Um, that's, um, that's you know, it, it could be 1,200 megawatts of wind, 600 megawatts of solar, and a 900 megawatts battery. We're probably about five or ten years away from that being completed, but, I mean, those are the scales of the thing that's been drawn up at the moment. Going back to Queensland, um, David, um, it's interesting to see. So we've seen a rush of contracts out there now. We don't know what's going to happen with the election. Um, the prospect from the LNP is not great. But you tuned into a, an interesting webinar um, late last week, which was given by Powerlink, who are the main transmission company there, state-owned, of course. What was the big takeout from there? Well, Powerlink's uh, got a new uh, chief executive, Paul Simshauser, who has a, a long background in Queensland electricity and brings, I guess, an economist's approach uh, to it. And he presented a number of interesting graphs and a lot of the questions that he took uh, were about the renewable energy zone development in Queensland. And I guess the number, you always like these headline numbers, but the number he said is that you ought to be able to hook up a renewable energy zone for about uh, 10 cents a kilowatt which comes to about $100 a megawatt. Now, if you think that new solar projects broadly cost $1.5 million a megawatt, maybe a little bit less, uh, and wind projects in the $1.8 to $2 million, depending on how big the wind farm is and a lot of other things, that, that extra $100 uh, is really only adding, you know, 5 6 7 8%. Uh, and certainly makes it look quite attractive. The second point he made, Giles, um, is that the equity check the state government is writing for $145 million. Uh, in fact, in the, by the time you put some debt into the Powerlink numbers, uh, you're up at $400 million, and you, know, you can get a certain amount done from that. It was also interesting, as we heard on the uh, podcast, that uh, Dr. Lynham's uh, uh, a strong supporter of getting these uh, regional microgrids and stuff going. So I, I think there are fantastic uh, prospects uh, in Queensland. The problem for them is going to be uh, the lack of export capability, even when the transmission is upgraded. And, you know, the problem for all of us is how to take advantage of all of this renewable energy surplus that we're that we're going to have, uh, particularly in North Queensland. It's got this fantastic wind and solar resource, but uh, nothing to do with it. And that's why it's not getting developed. It can't be exported. Uh, and there's no local industry up there sufficiently big to take it all. 
Although there was the promise Dr. Lionel was suggesting of having more industry, and I guess that's part of the challenge is getting the industry there. Um, yeah, no, interesting comment, and, and very interesting comment too about the um, about the transmission as well. Um, it doesn't sound too onerous to get um, the renewable energy zone up there. Um, uh, just on a bit of a side note, actually, while we're talking about Queensland, um, Matt Canavan, the LNP minister, quite an influential one, the former resources minister, was um, posting on Facebook the other day about um, solar farms up in Queensland, which had never been connected. And look, we do actually know that there's some solar farms have been constrained, but um, the idea that um, some of them had been deliberately just, just built and had taken the money and run and been deliberately not connected um, is really quite a fantasy. But it um, seems they can get away with anything on Facebook at the moment. Well, he's not in Cabinet anymore and he's probably regrets uh, his strong uh, show of support for Barnaby Joyce and resigning from Cabinet. But, you know, and uh, at the time there were a lot of articles by influential uh, columnists in The Australian, the Murdoch Press, saying that by Christmas, uh, you know, the current leader of the Nationals will be out. But we want to stay and, you know, Barnaby Joyce and his mates, including Matt, will be back. Uh, and, you know, at that stage uh, things may change. But... Uh, Look, the truth of it is his brother, right, is very big in the coal industry, wants to be a coal, or wants to be big and wants to be a coal developer. Let's let's not shy away from that. But anyway, I don't yeah. want to talk about uh, politics too much, Giles. Uh, there's no. uh, too many other, other things. Uh... Well, look, we're giving it a fair go today. I think we had a fantastic interview with Dr. Lynham. So um, anything else to add? And if not, we might just um, close it off there and um, wish everyone a very happy Well, I, I, I want to give a shout out to the uh, Smart Energy uh, Conference that was also on this week. And uh, we had a, a session hosted by Sophie. And I, I heard some uh, uh, good talks there. Uh, Bloomberg New Energy Finance pointing out that as much progress as renewable energy has made, uh, it's got a long, long way to go. And in fact, if you look at the dollars, total dollars of all the stimulus packages around the world, uh, in fact, there's been uh, more going towards fossil fuel development, more or less, and gas than, as, than to renewable energy. So I don't want anyone to think that just because Australia is making a little bit of progress that, that you know, if, um, we're anywhere near getting control of global warming, particularly when you look at these uh, fires in California, and I'm sure all of us see how reminiscent they are of what we saw here in Australia uh, last uh, summer. Um, and, and, and yeah, that's, that's about it. And uh, I, sh I should mention again that uh, you guys are looking for an extra journalist. Uh, is, is, is business growing, Giles? What, what have you got to say about that? Um, no, well, business is a bit of a um, is a bit sort of steady at the moment. But um, look, we were lucky enough to get a um, a grant from the government, so we're using that to good excuse and uh, to good to good um, it's good excuse to good good purpose. And so um, we're able to upgrade the website over the next six months and um, also hire another person, which will be which will be fantastic because there is so much to write about and um, it's very hard to keep up. So um, looking forward to seeing who puts their hand up um, there. And I hope we get a very strong um, um, strong number of people um, putting their hand up and um, seeing where we go from there. Anyway, David, um, that's it for and now. And our sponsors. And, well, I'm just getting to that. Yes, thank you. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> thank you very much to our sponsors, um, Evergen and Pylon. Um, thanks to all our listeners, and um, please do leave a review. Um, on your favourite platform that helps um, spread the word about this podcast and um, the, the, listen, the listenership, if that's a word, is growing and uh, we're very thankful for that and uh, we'll be back again um, this time next week.
Bye for now. Charles, I just, just want to make one tiny coda, you know, in these podcasts. Uh, about two years ago, we had the uh, uh, Warren Lasher from ERCOT in Texas, and uh, he talked and we looked at that. And, you know, there was such a lot of lessons in Texas about how that Australia could have taken notice of, you know, including the fact that the, the Texan guys wished they'd done their stability studies on the grid, you know, a bit earlier on when they were doing all this renewable energy and transmission. And so... I guess, uh, what's the point here? You've got to keep your ears open and try and get to see these problems coming and learn from the international experience. But uh, let's have a good week, everyone. Good evening, David. Bye for now. Energy Insiders was brought to you by Pylon. Pylon provides easy-to-use solid design software for installers and retailers with pay-as-you-go pricing, no monthly cost and no locking contracts. Join Australia's top solar companies who trust Pylon to design high-resolution, CEC-ready solar proposals. Energy Insiders was also brought to you by Evergen, the market-leading renewable energy software business that optimises the performance of residential and commercial solar and battery systems. Evergen enables large numbers of systems to operate as a single fleet so network operators can use them as a virtual power plant, generating significant value for consumers, network operators and the energy system as a whole. Evergen software is powering the energy of the future.